please, Matthew 5, if you have your copy of Scripture. Matthew 5, and we're going to read beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> While you're finding that, two quick things. As uh, you heard early, if you were in the, in the room, uh, at 2 o'clock this afternoon, if you're a member of the church, you'll get an email inviting you to click on and sign up. It doesn't take but about 30 seconds for Right Now Media. It's a wonderful a platform that provides uh, videos, all kinds of help. I've looked at it. The content is great. The writers are wonderful. The producers are wonderful. And uh, for your Bible study uh, personally or your small group or your Sunday school, or lots of, it's, got, it's got lots of applications. So get on there and, and look around. Second, this little book, uh, The Heavens Declare, and um, <clears throat> I wrote it in, in um, celebration of Apollo 11's 50th anniversary. Uh, Space and Rocket Center produced it. I don't get any money. It may sound silly. That's important to me that you know that. What little profit there is goes to the Education Foundation of um, Space and Rocket Center. But there's some that are going to be for sale, $5 each, out at the, uh, out at the table out there in the uh, lobby as you leave. Particularly helpful, I think, for someone you know who's not a believer, who has an interest in science, particularly the space uh, program. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, that's our text, but before I, before I read that, I do want to tell you a story. Our son Grant was uh, a seventh grader, and we were in Tennessee in Sevierville. We were staying in the hotel in Sevierville. It was, um, there were 10 or 15 families. He was on a traveling basketball team. And uh, we were staying all in the same hotel in Sevierville, but the games were out in rural gyms. Um, so it was Friday afternoon, it was time for the first game, and uh, there were nine families that had, had gathered in the parking lot. A couple of, of them had already gone on to the gym, and for reasons that I don't remember, I had the directions to, the, to this gym. Now, you won't remember this, but there was a day when we didn't have GPS and we actually, it was very primitive. You used maps and people gave you printed directions how to, how to get places. So I had the printed directions and so it was decided that I would be the one to, to lead the convoy. So we took off, there were eight vehicles behind me. I remember that specifically, though this was I think 2001. So uh, the, the direction said that you were supposed to turn left at, this, left at this place and then you would turn right. But I missed that place where you turn left and so where, when I did turn left, it was where I was supposed to have turned right. And the road got narrower and narrower and I got nervouser and nervouser until I saw a sign that read, no outlet. Well, I knew I was in big trouble and I had eight vehicles behind me. So I thought, how are we going to get out of this? I, I thought, well, there was a, a country, a, a, a dirt road there. I thought, well, we'll turn in there and surely there's a place for us to, to turn around. So I turned down that uh, dirt road and those eight vehicles faithfully uh, followed me. I didn't realize it, but this was no ordinary dirt road. It was the road uh, into a a cornfield, and so out to my left, the corn was as high as an elephant's eye, and the same thing off to my right. And um, well, I, I stopped, I got out of the car, the drivers got out of the car, some of the kids got out of the car. 
And uh, we did have, not, I didn't have one, but some, a few people had cell phones back then. And one of the guys, they were big clunky things. One of the guys' cell phones went off and he answered it. I don't know what the other person uh, the, on the other end said. My, my guess is he asked, where are you? Because his words, and he said it just like this. I'm in the middle of a cornfield. And then there were these two little girls. One of them went to the church. I served as pastor. And she said this. I remember exactly what she said. She said, that's my pastor. <laughs> and then she said, he looks uptight. And I was. I had been entrusted with the opportunity to lead these folks. I had the directions. And I had led them astray. If people know that you are followers of Jesus, then uh, they will watch you. And if you're not careful, you will lead them astray. Matthew 5, we're going to read beginning at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, that's important, and glorify your Father in heaven. Today we begin a series, a three-week series on personal evangelism. Personal evangelism is just a churchy way of saying, be intentional about helping people understand Jesus and to understand what it means to follow him and then invite them to do just that. We talk about this because Jesus matters and because what people decide about him matters. Ephesians 2.12 says that those without Jesus are, and I'm quoting now, without hope and without God in the world. We talk about personal evangelism because life at its best is possible only through Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to give people life and, and life that is abundant, the best it can be in a, an imperfect world. We talk about personal evangelism because this world is not all that is. And although I don't know exactly what to do with the images of hell in the Bible, I do believe it is a place of eternal and hopeless separation from God, who is the giver of all good things. We talk about personal evangelism because the, the most important opportunity a follower of Jesus has is to help someone who does not know Jesus know him. We talk about personal evangelism because grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is a wonderful motivator. We talk about personal evangelism because arguably the most sacred and wonderful moment in the life of any church is when a new believer is baptized. We'll talk about verbalizing our faith in the next couple of weeks, but today we talk about the fact that you have influence, that your character and your behavior influences people either toward Jesus or away from him. Jesus said, don't hide your light. Now, some of us hide our lights because we're ashamed of the light or we're afraid of people seeing the light. Imagine this, imagine living in the Arctic where it's dark for six months. Imagine that you have a wonderful light that would be very helpful to lots of people, but there's some people in the Arctic who don't like your brand of light, and so you hide your lantern, except for on Sunday mornings when you all get together with other owners of the same lantern, and, and you get together in a big room, and you all light your light, and it's beautiful, it's a bright light, but then you go home and you take that lantern and you put it in the closet and you hide it because somebody might criticize you over your lantern. 
Jesus said, don't, don't hide your light. He also said, let your light shine so that your good deeds would make the Father look good. He says, glorify the Father. That means reflect well on the Father. So that means if, if our good deeds make God look good, our bad deeds make God look bad. The late Jerry Clower, the, the fertilizer salesman from Yazoo City, Mississippi, came to the seminary when I was there and talked about toting the light. He said when he was a little kid, uh, he, was, he was carrying this lantern when, when uh, his grandmother said, hey, Jerry, if you're going to tote the light, tote the light right. I think Jesus would say amen to that. If you're going to tote the light, then don't mess up because it makes, it makes the father look bad. By our character and our decisions, we can either ease people toward Jesus or push them away. Rainbow Acres is a Christian camp in Camp Verde, Arizona, founded in 1974. Ralph Showers was a, an American Baptist pastor but had struggled growing up in school because of learning disabilities, including dyslexia. So he wanted to, to, to found a camp where people with developmental disabilities could learn to live with purpose and direction and beauty. So he founded Rainbow Acres. When he was building Rain, Rainbow Acres, he was helping Ralph Showers, was helping build it. He touched the power line and his injuries were so traumatic that both his arms had to be amputated. Well, because the power company had some liability, four lawyers from New York flew to Arizona to meet with him. They said to him, Mr. Showers, we have a check here for $325,000 that we're prepared uh, to present to you. If you will sign that that you will take no further action, in other words, that you won't sue uh, the power company. Mr. Showers said, I'll take it. His attorney was there, called him aside and said, Ralph, if you, if you hold out, if you threaten to sue, they'll give you a lot more than $325,000. Ralph Showers said, I'm not that kind of a guy, and by the way, 325000 will get my camp up and running, so I'm going to take the check, and he did. Two years later, he got a phone call. The person on the other end said this, I'm one of the attorneys who came from New York to make an offer to settle with you on your accident a couple of years ago, and I want to tell you something. The lawyer explained. When you accepted our offer of $325,000, the four of us who'd come to Arizona laughed, and we laughed all the way to the airport. We had come authorized to pay you as much as a million dollars, but you never asked for more, and we went home delighted with how much money we'd saved our client. The attorney continued. But as time went on, I became bothered by what we'd done. We had taken advantage of your good nature and your unwillingness to be adversarial. I don't think I've ever met someone like you. And learning something of your faith, I was driven to do some thinking. I ended up visiting with a Christian pastor back here in New York, and I want you to know that today I'm a Christian and a member of a church because of the kind of man you showed yourself to be. If you have the instructions and people are watching you, you can, you can either take them to the gym or to the cornfield. You can ease them toward Jesus 
or push them away. And if somebody's thinking, Travis, that's a big weight of responsibility. And I know Ralph showers. Well, let me tell you another story. Tony Campolo talked about his son, Bart, who was a counselor at a Christian camp where they would bring inner city kids away for a, for a, a weekend. And so this weekend, it was Friday afternoon, Bart had a van full of inner city kids headed to the campsite. And um, he was late and he was frustrated. And um, they called from the camp and they said, man, you got to get here. There are only two of us here. And there are 200 kids and things are going crazy. So he's, he was hurrying to get there and frustrated when when there was a blowout, one of the tires blew out. So now he's even more frustrated. So they unloaded all the kids and they unloaded the luggage to get to the, to the, the spare and the jack. And they got the jack under the van and he starts jacking up the car and the, 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 the jack leaned and the van crashed to the ground. And when it did, Bart, the Christian counselor, said what pastors only think when that, those kind of things happen to them. He let out a string of profanity right there in front of God and those kids. Well, they finally got the car, the tire on the car, on the van, and they got there to the camp, and they had the weekend, and they were leaving and um, headed back to the city when the kid sitting in the passenger side said, uh, this was a great weekend. He said, I became a Christian this weekend. Well, Bart was thrilled. Well, how did that happen? Was it the, the speaker? Was it the Bible study groups, did somebody come to you individually? No, the, the kid said. It was on the way up to camp. When that jack fell and the car fell and, and you said what you said, I thought, if he can be a Christian, anybody can be a Christian. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting profanity as a tool of personal evangelism. I'm not suggesting that. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no, unhealth, oh, no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. But my point is that people don't expect you to be perfect. They don't expect you to be flawless. They know that you and I have our flaws. They know we're not perfect. There are some things we can do and people will give us a pass. In some circles, your car falls, you say something, they'll give you a pass. But there are some things, and I want you to hear me, there are things that if we do, we not only edge people away, we drive people away from Jesus. Dishonesty. Unethical business practices. Hypocrisy. Preaching one thing and doing another. Treating people as less than. And I want you to hear me. When we pe treat people as less than because of race, we drive people away. When we treat people as less than because of their sexual identity and their sexual practice, we drive people away. When we treat people as less than because of their politics, we drive people away. When we treat people as less than because of their social status, we drive people away. When we treat people like they're less than we are and like they're less than a beautiful creation of God, we drive people away. Mahatma Gandhi was a young attorney in South Africa. Before he went back to India and, and was part of the, the movement in India, 
He was a, a young attorney, a Hindu, who knew lots of Christians, was so impressed with Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, he started an organization based on the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. But Gandhi never became a Christian because of Christians. He said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. When we demonize people, when we disparage people, when we treat people as less than, we not only edge people away from Jesus, we shove them away from Jesus. People don't expect us to be perfect. They know we're flawed. But when we're hypocritical, when we're dishonest, when we are unethical, and when we disparage and demonize people with whom we might even disagree, we shove people away from Jesus. Jesus said, let your light shine so that your good deeds will glorify, will make God look good. We can make him look good or we can make him look bad. Don't hide your light, Jesus said. Let it, don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. Let it shine, but let it shine, let it shine well, he said. Our son, uh, Landon, suggested that I read a book titled Messy. It's written by A.J. Swoboda. A.J. Swoboda is a young, kind of quirky church planter and writer. And um, he, he wrote about his conversion. In the book, he, he wrote about his conversion experience. Uh, it didn't happen in a church service. It didn't happen at a youth rally. He wasn't lying in an alley somewhere coming down from a high. It wasn't some, something dramatic like that. It was in math class. At least that's where it started. He and three friends were working on a project uh, about the uh, Pythagorean theorem. I think that's how you pronounce it. I sure, Chuck, I know I can't define it, but it, working on a project. And they got to arguing about the Left Behind series. Some of you have read those books. And A.J. Swoboda had no idea. He didn't have a church background. He had no idea what this Left Behind thing was. He said, what I did here, what it sounded like to me was, Jesus was as mean as the witch and the Wizard of Oz, and he was coming back to get some folks, is what it sounded like to him. But he was intrigued, and so he went home, and he knew where a Bible was in a box, and so he dug into the box until he found that Bible, and he dusted it off. And he began to read. He decided that he would read wherever it fell open. It fell open to Leviticus. And, and, and he found it so hard to read that he almost gave up. But he decided to give it one more try. So he opened it. And it fell open, opened it again. It fell open this time to Matthew. And he began to read this story about Jesus on the shore saying to two brothers, this was Peter and Andrew, follow me. And he thought, what, a, what an interesting story. Jesus just said, follow me. And these, these guys left everything and they, they followed him. And, and he, he was really impressed, Swoboda was really impressed with the fact that Jesus always called just very ordinary, common people. He called them low-level chumps. Now, remember, he's a quirky young guy, 
low-level chumps. And listen to what he says. Listen carefully. Jesus associated himself with losers. So it would make sense that he would hang out with someone like me. And even more than that, Jesus called the chumps and changed the world with them. Jesus said to the chumps, come and follow me, and the chumps did. And that phrase, follow me, kept echoing in Swoboda's heart. So the next day, driving to the YMCA to play basketball, he said, I'm quoting again, I became a Christian in my car. I wasn't listening to Christian radio or anything. It was just simple. Those words wouldn't go away. Like a ringing in my ear, a humming that wouldn't end. Come, follow me. In my red Mazda pickup truck at 16 years old, driving downtown to play basketball at the Y, I gave my heart and soul to what I thought was this voice in my head with all I had and all I was and all I would be. And he told his friends what had happened. And they said, well, Jesus would want you to go to church. So he did. And he told his mom and she came to church and she found Jesus. And all because he understood that Jesus invites common people to follow him. Now, I want to say a word to, to you who, who are not yet a follower of Jesus. Those of us who follow him, and the words of A.J. Swoboda are, what did he say, low-level chumps. We just ordinary, flawed, imperfect people, and quite frankly, we're afraid we might lead you to the cornfield. We're afraid because we are so flawed that we might mislead you and that we might not reflect well on our Father. We don't want you to look at us. We do want you to look at Jesus. We understand our responsibility, but we also understand that we are flawed humans. But we are flawed humans who have found hope. We are flawed human, humans uh, whose lives have been transformed. And we would want you to look not at us, but to look to Jesus. For he can give you hope, and he can transform you. All of us as followers of Jesus have a responsibility to either ease people toward Jesus or to understand that if our behavior and character is bad, we will shove them away. But you too, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, have a responsibility to understand it's not about us, it's not about his followers. It is about him. And I invite you to him right now. We're going to sing a hymn. It is 575. And there are going to be some ministers down here to talk to you if you want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. If you sense that the Spirit of God is leading you to be part of this church family, we'd be more than thrilled. Others are going to be singing. We invite you to take that first step into the aisle. We'll meet you down here, and we'll take it from here. If you'll just come, let's stand, please, as we sing.